You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here in the house in our northern command of Conservative Review. It's Tuesday, February 14th. Gosh, where is the month gone? Half of February is gone. January is gone. I literally have not stopped working since January 1st. And I know a lot of you have sent me messages asking me how in the world I don't get carpal tunnel (laughs) from typing so much. Um, But, you know, this is what I'm here for. Like I told you, I'm committed to fighting this judicial tyranny. And, you know, I really wanted to move on to other issues. There's some news on Obamacare. Finally, we got the Freedom Caucus to generally do the right thing on this. Who knows if they'll gain any traction pushing for full repeal of Obamacare as well as the mandates. Um, But there's nothing else to talk about except for the courts and immigration. Because if we don't get control of our sovereignty, nothing matters. If we don't get control over our ability to self-determine our future, nothing matters. If the courts remain the sole and final arbiter of every social, political, public policy issue and, and, and uh, resolve it in the most radically wet left way, nothing else matters. You know, imagine if Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi would have a platform where, you know, all the radical things they say, they can enact into law and shrine into our constitution and there's nothing we can do about it. And they don't stand for election. Well, you don't have to imagine. That is what we have. And anyone who has read my writing, certainly if you read my book, Stolen Sovereignty, which I recommend you you, you get out now, um, it's still available at Amazon, pretty cheap price. And by the way, I, I would I would give this away for free if I could, if the publisher would let me. I really want everyone to see it. I'm barely making money off of it. That's not the point. Um, I, I don't take any pride in predicting this would happen. But, you know, l- let me let me preface the show, actually. You know, and for some of you, this might be a little bit of a, a review. But let me preface it by reading page 70. 70 to 71 which is uh, the opening of chapter four. So just to understand, I transition from chapter three, I talk about the courts redefining the building block of all civilization on marriage. And I transition that into what I call the final frontier in judicial tyranny, stealing our sovereignty, hence the title of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. And we're literally seeing this in the second month into the Trump presidency. Now, look, the Trump presidency has a lot of problems to it. And, you know, we knew this was coming. There's personal problems. There's ethical problems. There's chaotic problems. Then you have the GOP establishment won't even back him up on the good things he's doing. They won't plot a good path on the fiscal and social issues where he's not leading the way and sometimes bad. By the way, he's horrible on the homosexual agenda, religious liberty. Um, but, But like I said last week, it's hard to hold him accountable when he does the right thing on immigration. No one backs him. So, you know, does he have any incentive to go out and fight um, on some of these other issues. But anyway, I'm going to read to you about a page worth. You know, I'm not going to bore you here, but 
I wrote this. So the book came out last July. I wrote this, you know, picture. I don't know. I mean, more than by, by now, it's more than a year ago because it was really the tail end of 2015. And, you know, we had a year left to Obama's presidency. And I saw a day where maybe we'd have a Republican president that would finally end the in- insanity of illegal immigration and the insanity of importing the entire Middle East and repeating the mistakes of Europe. And, you know, it's tough enough politically to get leaders that want to do that, even though I believe it's broadly popular with the country, although it's hard because it's packaged through the prism of Trump and Trump himself is very unpopular. So this is this is the quandary we're in. But I predicted such a day and then I predicted a day when the courts, which have no shred of legitimacy, I want to make that clear. I'm going to get to that later on in the show. Um, the, The Stockholm syndrome of the legal pseudo-conservative right we spoke about last week um, that just keep coming back for more. It's an abusive relationship. They complain about the courts in the abstract intellectually, but then when push comes to shove, they love the courts and they keep coming back for more. And nothing the courts do will serve as an impetus, an inflection moment, a catharsis where they'll say, you know what? Oh my gosh, there is not a shred of legitimacy as Robert Bork said a generation ago when the courts weren't nearly as bad and yet our side does nothing. Um, so anyway, this, this is how I start off chapter four. Courts have long stolen the sovereignty of the individual and the state to govern its affairs within their constitutional realms. The next and final frontier of judicial tyranny is to steal the sovereignty of the nation state itself to change the orientation and membership of the society without the input of the existing members. Justice Scalia recently commented, and by the way, this was right before he died, that, quote, he can't imagine how you can go any further down the slippery slope of judicial tyranny than creating, quote, the right to same-sex marriage. So I continue here in my own words. Sadly, there is one final step on the inexorable road to judicial autocracy, and that is creating an affirmative right for foreign nationals to immigrate here and steal citizenship for their children. This eventuality, which is already at our doorstep, will harm our society and economy and abjure our sovereignty all without the people's consent. The same judges who repudiate the Constitution as written and call upon judges to do, quote, what is sensible, if left to their own devices, will discover these new rights for illegal aliens. They'll discover an affirmative right to immigrate and render everything our founders and early courts said about sovereignty obsolete and and inapplicable in the modern era. Yes, we are headed to a time when courts will issue judicial amnesty even if the political branches are committed to enforcing the laws. The courts are an existential threat to our future as a civilization and a nation state. If conservatives don't immediately address the growing judicial crisis, the entire preamble of the Constitution, what is left of it, will up, meaning we the people, will apply to all 7.2 billion people in the world. That is why I've cho- chosen to dedicate the longest section of this book to judicial tyranny as it relates to immigration sovereignty. Let me just read you one more paragraph. Nothing undermines undermines the self-determination of a society and the sovereignty of a nation state more than illegal immigration or the refusal of the political class to keep out those who will harm or transform the existing society. Yet, in an increasingly disquieting disquieting trend, the courts have undermined the self-determination of American citizens by stripping them of the ability to secure their own future in society against those who illegally infiltrate America. The courts have ratcheted up their wholesale invention of constitutional rights for illegal immigrants, undermining the ability of voters 
to use their elected representatives to prevent illegal immigration. Now, folks, what you're seeing here is is a fulfillment of what I warned about a year ago. The courts obviously are concocting an affirmative right to immigrate, that there's a First Amendment right for Muslims to immigrate. Meanwhile, there's no First Amendment right for American citizens to uh, you know, utilize their life, liberty, and property and earn a living with their own private business and not have to service something that violates their conscience, violates our history and tradition. Um, you know, so again, flipped on a tenant. By the way, I start out the introduction to my book, or actually, no, the chapter one, not the intro, um, just shocking the consciousness of, of our, our readers that demonstrating juxtapositions and absurdities you know, you could do this, but you can't do this. Meaning how the courts have literally flipped everything on its head. Up is down, down is up. A federal right is a state right. A state power is a federal power. Unalienable rights are criminal. Criminal rights are unalienable. I mean, it, it's it's unreal. And, you know, you're seeing that play out now just last night. It's not just the Ninth Circuit, by the way. It's every single court. And by the way, I'm going to have a piece coming I don't know if it's going to be up by the time we we uh, produce this, but I have an entire report on the lower courts. I go through each circuit. I go through the numbers. I go through the nature of the judges on them and then how it's almost impossible to anyway to um, fill them with conservatives for a number of reasons. The courts are irremediably broken. I mean, Robert Bork warned us back in the 90s. I know I've quoted to you this a uh, number of times in some of my writings. He said that, um, you know, we thought that after 12 years in, of Bush and Reagan, we'd be able to bring them back into the realm of normalcy, even during the depths of the Warren era. Heck, maybe there's some sort of system. No, no, no. There is no, you cannot rationalize with the, these people. And that's why I was so offended to see all these conservatives say, well, you know, Trump should go and rewrite that executive order so it passes muster with the courts. I mean, even if you agree that we have to submit ourselves to the courts on this when 200 years of case law show the contrary. It misses the point. It's like a gambling casino, like a slot machine where you keep losing money and you try, well, well, if I do this, I'll win. I'll win with the courts. No, you won't. There is no shred of legitimacy. They are outcomes-based. They have replaced jurisprudence with social justice. There's no consistency to what they do other than the fact that the liberal political outcome has to prevail. So they'll they'll have open borders in either direction. I'm going to quote you an email. I'm on an email list with leaders of conservative organizations and and so on. And not to breach confidentiality, there's no way to determine who this guy is. Um, and I don't want to bash him in particular, but it just I want to illustrate to you what the thought process of the conservative legal intelligentsia is. You know, so I sent out on this email. I sent out an article that the ACLU, as I warned, they're mobilizing with all the deportations. So it's not just a question of our legal immigration system importing the Middle East. It's illegals, too. Notice that the media is trying to say, oh, my gosh, Trump's deporting people. And, you know, he deported he deported 640 people or rounded them up. I mean, even Obama did that. You know, he decreased deportations by massive 60, 70 percent in his uh, second term. But, you know, there were some people deported. I mean, we, we are a sovereign nation state. But they're trying to illegitimize everything. And, you know, you think, oh, come on, they're not going to do that. Yes, they will. The courts will say they've already said that. Think about it. If there is a what they're basically doing is creating a right to immigrate. Now, what I mean by a right is 
that once you assert a right, so then the government has to demonstrate on a balancing test that they have a security interest or some sort of national interest to keep you out. But the default is you have the right to come in, right? You have the right, you have some sort of right to come in. And, you know, as it relates to illegal immigration, it's a similar thing. They're going to say the same thing, and even more so, because think about it. If they're creating an affirmative right for people that were never here to come here or assert some sort of religious discrimination right, there's no limit to what they can do. Not at all. I mean, there's absolutely nothing. With illegal immigrants, you know, they could say, look, these guys lived here 10, 15, 20 years. They're part of the American fabric. Due process, equal protection. If they're religious, you'll say religious discrimination or something. First Amendment. There you go. Life, liberty, property. I mean, they'll make it up. They'll violate what I call the fourth right of the Declaration of Independence, governance by the consent of the governed. Um, And they'll just say, wait a minute, you have to show there's a government interest. And then you lost. I mean, think about it. Even the DOJ attorneys, even the conservative-leaning pundits, are they're just disagreeing on the premise. Well, what do you mean? They're, 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 of course there's an interest because 72 people from these countries were arrested on terrorism charges over the last number of years. But once you're explaining, you're losing. <laughs> that means that by definition, they have a right to assert a claim, and we might have a good counterclaim on a balancing test. But we already lost because the, you're never going to win with the courts because it's all political. And politically, they believe that illegal immigration is awesome. So what do you mean? What type of interest could you have? I don't understand. Illegal immigrants are great. Why would you want to deport them? What is this, Nazi Germany? I mean, that's literally what they said. There's no shred of legitimacy to these courts. And by the way, I just want to take a moment here, you know, for anyone wondering, you know, when we say, and this is not what Trump is doing at all. But theoretically, if you wanted to keep out all Muslims and say, we are not having Muslim immigrants. Now, not to uh, differentiate that between the practice of Islam on our shore. If someone happens to be here and practices, that's freedom of religion. Although, (sighs) the truth be told, at what point is a religion not an ideology of hate? But, um, you know, I I have no doubt our grandparents, great-grandparents generation, which would have never done this Muslim immigration business and they never did until this generation um, I, I don't think they would have viewed it that way but let's just as a given let's just say it's a religion um, immigration's different we could set any conditions and even if they sound tyrannical even if they don't sound nice let's say we're not allowing anyone in with green hair with green eyes or orange hair the flip side of saying of that is saying well, there is some sort of right. Meaning if you're going to tell me that as a nation we can't do that, that means you're telling me on the other side of the coin there is some sort of right. That means we are no longer a sovereign nation. That means that someone could assert discrimination. Now, we might be able to swat it down relatively easy by saying, no, that's not what we're doing. But that's you know once you get that into the courts, you're done because the courts aren't going to do that that way and nor do they have a right to. I mean, as, as John Marshall himself said in 1812, the big judicial supremacy guy, Um, The jurisdiction of the nation within its own territory is necessarily exclusive and absolute. It is susceptible of no limitation, not imposed by itself. Look at this. Any restriction upon it deriving validity from an external source would imply a diminution of its sovereignty to the extent of the restriction and an investment of that sovereignty to the same extent in that power which could oppose such a restriction. So, again, you're telling me that a foreign national could control our sovereignty. 
and, and that's the thing. A, a fundamental right is, for example, an American has a fundamental right to own a gun, to carry a gun as well, Second Amendment. And that's not just the Second Amendment. As I've said many times, it's a natural right of self-defense, as Sam Adams always spoke of, life, liberty, property, and the right to defend those three. But um, so that's a fundamental right. So the default is you have the right. Let's say, you know, you're a criminal and the government, the state believes you're violent. So the state has to demonstrate through due process. No, you're a criminal. And therefore, we're taking away that right because there's a governmental interest that outweighs that. That's a balancing test that you need for a constitutional right. What the courts are starting out with the premise, you know, a lot of people are saying, come on, Daniel, you're exaggerating. They're not creating a right to immigrate. Of course they are. They're saying that there's you have to show a government interest. They're saying, no, you, you, you've provided no evidence. Now, again, we could laugh at that. We could say it's absurd. What do you mean? Uh, the evidence is we don't want to become like Europe and destroy our civilization. But putting that aside, you don't need to show evidence. As Marshall said, any limitation means that an external source is controlling your sovereignty. But anyway, you know, that that's where we are with the court. So. I, I'm sorry, and I went off on a tangent here. So I sent out on this email list, I said, you know, guys, if we don't wake up and demand judicial reform, which, by the way, I, I started my series again, and I have a whole article I'll link to in the show notes on what judicial reform looks like, at least for jurisdiction stripping. I'm going to have a list of 12 ideas in another post. Um, and I said, because it's not just about the Middle East, it's about illegal immigration. They're creating, they're going to create judicial amnesty. The ACLU is is already taking all the deportations to court. And I, I said, this is very clear. We will never win in the courts. The courts will never serve as a legitimate tool. And this guy emails me back to the whole list and quote, to the objection that a rejection of a court's authority. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. What am I doing here? Um, wrong quote. That, that that's uh, <laughs> something else I say for you at the end of the show. Um, he said, as a federal appellate litigator, who clerked for the U.S. Court of Appeals, I cannot agree with what you're saying, Daniel. My firm wins plenty of tough and controversial cases. Good judges, you know, there are some textualists and, and originalists, would rule the right way, and there are plenty of good judges out there. There are just too many leftist judges um, on the bench, and we need to replace them one at a time. This, folks, I'm, I'm quoting it to you because this is exactly the mindset of the conservative, conservative legal establishment. No matter what the courts will, will do, they could say everyone has to get a sex change operation and redefine marriage, redefine sexuality, redefine our borders, the most radical things imaginable. And they'll still say, well, you know, there's still good judges and, we, you know, we just need to appoint better judges. Now, you see from my articles, I, I have so many, I have, a, I have about a dozen reasons why that's not true why you're never going to fix it, why, you know. But let, let me let me demonstrate this to you. And like I said before, a good judge doesn't have the capacity to do as much good as a bad judge has the capacity to do harm to our nation. Because, for example, we don't have conservative judges forcing conservative policy on people, you know, saying that you have to own a gun or something like that, or, you know, anyone who's a homosexual has to be thrown in jail. That would be the equivalent of what the left is doing. You know, as, as you know, and I don't have time to go through all these articles, but the courts are so illegitimate. What they're doing is flipping federalism on its head for immigration. So they're saying that liberal states could literally petition for more immigrants, and it, it's a, the onus is upon the federal government to demonstrate why it's not in the interest to bring in more. Literally flipping federal power on its head. 
a, no one else has written about this. A week before the Ninth Circuit said that, they ruled that the state of Arizona must give driver's licenses to the illegal aliens Obama illegally amnestied in his executive order. And he's no longer even president. It was, it was a 24 to 5 ruling in Bank of the Ninth Circuit. 24 to 5. I mean, you see how few normal judges there are. And it's unbelievable. They said, what do you mean, Arizona? The federal government controls immigration. They said it with a straight face. How could you deny driver's licenses? Driver's licenses. And now, mind you, driver's licenses are a, a complete state power. And even though immigration is controlled by the feds, which branch controls it? Congress. And Obama supplanted and nullified congressional statutes to bring in more immigration. And as I've noted before, Scalia said this from Madison, from Roger Sherman, from Joseph Story, that the purpose of federalizing immigration was not to flood states with immigrants at a federal level. It was the opposite, to protect states from other states that might be liberal um, or want to, back then the concern was they would want to bolster their representation in Congress and by artificially inflating their population. And they'd bring in, quote, you know, what Joseph Story said were undesirable immigrants. And, you know, once they're here, they affect the entire federal union. That's why it needs to be federalized. So they're telling Arizona, oh, Obama's illegal amnesty is federal law that preempts you and mandates that you take a positive action on, on a plenary power that you have driver's licenses and give them to illegals. Yet, all of a sudden, when it came to Washington, suing Trump for doing something that was pursuant to six statutes. I said five before I found the sixth one, by the way. Um... It's something that's been done 43 times. A president could shut off any immigration anytime. And they say, no, they have a right to not just the ones already got visas, but even even prospective immigrants. They could say they want them for their universities, whatever. This is why there's no shred of legitimacy. You know, this is not something like, oh, you know, if my if my firm, my lawyers would have represented, they could have given a better argument. You cannot rationalize with these people. They don't care. It, there's not 1% legitimacy to these courts, not one. It is literally if Nancy Pelosi, that's who these people are. They know, you know, Michelle Friedland, the one who wrote the opinion um, for the Ninth Circuit, she's the same thing as Nancy Pelosi. You know, people would think you put on a robe, you go to law school, you, you got to look at the technicalities of a law, you're not going to promote your emotional agenda. Yes, you will. And the consistency is open borders. So when states want to bring in more immigrants, they say, yep, that's your right. And federal government, you better listen. When states want to protect their own sovereignty and follow federal congressional law, they say, no, you're preempted by Obama's illegal executive amnesty. It, it doesn't matter. And, and the funny thing is, you know, these litigators that, that think, oh, I, I, I win some cases. Here's what winning looks like. They're defensive victories. So, you know, obviously any social transformation doesn't work in a linear line. It's not, you know, in one shot. So you don't go overnight to saying every Republican family has to get a sex change operation. You gradually go there. So the ACLU will, you know, flood the zone, go to 50 different courts and 50 different radical things. And, you know, sometimes the courts won't go there yet. I, I gave this example last year. There was one week where and one was the Fourth Circuit, one was the Sixth Circuit, I believe, where um, one, the courts, what was a case where the ACLU brought a lawsuit to mandate 15 days of early voting. Another case was like 25 days of early voting plus same day registration at the same time. Um, so, you know, the 15 day one, they ruled against us, 25 one, like, no, nah, they didn't go there yet. Is that a victory? 
is what <laughs> what this is it's kind of like one team having possession of the ball they can never lose possession they can't fumble or toss an interception and they don't have four downs they have an unlimited amount of shots so yeah once in a while you'll toss an incomplete pass you won't make the connection you won't but you'll get that ball in the end zone you will never win this court game you're never going to win it what the courts are doing now is nullification it's funny, you know, if a state would get up there and say, you know, um, I don't like Social Security. I'm going to put a, set up a scheme where my own citizens, residents get to divert their payroll taxes to private accounts where they could earn more money. I mean, do you think that would stand for a minute? But that's what the, the, and that's not even as radical because that's among Americans. The courts are creating rights for the entire world at the most perilous, ubiquitous time of Islamic terror. They are subverting and stealing our sovereignty. They are nullifying statutes. They're nullifying um, um, Article 2 war powers. They're nullifying Article 1, Section 8 immigration powers. They're nullifying 200 years of case law. They're nullifying the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. We the people. It's funny. They say people means everyone in the world. It was written by Governor Morris, who was such a strong advocate for sovereignty. I have great quotes from him in my book. But but this is, I want to quote you from Robert Bork again. To the objection that a rejection of a court's authority would be civil disobedience, the answer is that a court that issues orders without authority engages in an equally dangerous form of civil disobedience. That's where we are, folks. This has got to stop. And, you know, it stops by getting on the playing field. It stops by Congress actually at least in word, you know, start with non-binding things. Steve King, my buddy, who is just a champion of Article 3, Section 2, taking back power, he's he's my point man who's going to lead our fight in Congress for us. Um, and by the way, you know, I rarely do this, but if you ever want to donate to to someone, he always has tough re-election, they go after him. Um, donate to him, Steve King from Iowa, just, he has a heart of gold. I never, has never let me down and just, just, Great patriot, um, just such a such a friendly person. Loves to listen. Uh, just real. I mean, if we had a hundred of him, we'd be we'd be an amazing country. But anyway, he has a resolution just condemning the Ninth Circuit and just showing how it's lawless. And you know, and it's non-binding, but at least you're expressing the sense of Congress that no, as we're not going to leave the president out to dry. And again, whatever you think of Trump on other issues and his ethical stuff, and I'm not even getting into. It's not about Trump. But he has that power, and it's the right thing to do. Where's Congress? Instead, you have James Lankford, senator from Oklahoma, saying, oh, it's unconstitutional? I didn't know. Okay, well, Trump better write it so it's constitutional. What? Jeff freaking Flake, who the senator from Arizona, we just mentioned Arizona being disemboweled by the courts, by the duplicity, the perfidy, the hypocrisy of the courts going in opposite directions to achieve the same result on open borders. He says, don't criticize judges. This is the problem. I mean, this is why th- there's no deterrent. You need to get on the playing field. And then you need to start by stripping the lower courts of their jurisdiction over immigration. You go on to other issues. You break up the Ninth Circuit. I'm going to talk about that at a later date. These are all things that need to happen. They need to happen now. This is our constitutional crisis. It's a, it's a judicial emergency. I don't know how to say it in stronger terms. We, we will not be able to deport a single criminal alien, even a criminal alien, we're going to have to demonstrate that the guy murdered three people. 
before we... I mean, that's what the courts are doing. They're starting off from third base. I mean, literally in this Ninth Circuit case, they said to Arizona, wait a minute, what, what business do you have um, cutting off, uh, not, not giving them driver's licenses? Are, are you a racist? I'm not kidding you. That's what Judge Pragerson, Carter appointee, the guy who wrote the opinion for the Ninth Circuit, that's what he told the Arizona Solicitor General during oral arguments. I couldn't believe it. I have it in my book, by the way. But this is, uh, you know, then the, they ruled, and then, you know, what happened two weeks ago was when they appealed in bonk, 24 to 5, the court ruled, no, you're done. Can you imagine that only five judges out of 29 understood the rule of law? Five out of 29 understood that Obama's executive order was unconstitutional. Yet, all those say Trump's order is unconstitutional. I mean, there is, there is, there is literally, but, but again, no one should be surprised when you redefine marriage, when you redefine the most immutable laws of nature, there's nothing you can't do. But these same people think, oh, the courts are fine, just, just some better judges. By the way, I don't want to repeat this all, but um, you're going to see my report on the lower courts. One of the reasons, you know, they talk about, oh, there's 114, 120 vacancies. Okay. First of all, only about 20 of them are appeals courts. That, that's what really matters. Only 10 of those are Democrat seats that you're flipping over. But moreover, do you know why we're going to, why we are where we are? It's the same reason we're going to continue to be where we are. And that's because there's all these rules and traditions that you have to replace a judge. Let's say that you have a vacancy in the Ninth Circuit. And let's say, um, you know, the guy that, that left was from Idaho. I'm sorry, was from California. And you have a conservative district judge that you, from Idaho that you know is awesome. And you want to appoint him. You want to give him a raise to the Ninth Circuit. Guess what? You can't do that. You have to – there's state allocation rules within the circuit. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a law, but it's a tradition that they all follow. I don't think we should follow, but I'm just saying this is why we are. So now what's wrong with California? Well, that's where you get into rule number two, which is called the blue slip rule. Any home state senator could basically tell the Senate Judiciary Committee, I oppose this person and don't do a hearing and scuttle the nomination. Well, you tell me how you get a even a semi-conservative, much less a true originalist, passed – the two California senators. This is why outside of the fifth and the eighth circuits, if you understand the geography a little bit, Texas and, you know, Kansas and, uh, well, not Kansas, not there, but uh, Arkansas, um, you know, the Dakotas, that's why you have conservative, you know, the eighth circuit is pretty good um, because you have Republican senators. Now you have a lot of rhino senators that are bad too, but Whatever, I'm going to get into this at a later date, but the courts are irremediably broken. We're not going to fix it anymore. That was evident to Robert Bork when 20 years ago when his brain, I'm sure, could not have envisioned what, what is going on today. But yet again, nothing the courts could do will get the conservative legal establishment to change its mind. And that's why it's got to come from the grassroots. We need a groundswell. We need a groundswell protest against the courts the same way the left is protesting at these town halls. Obviously, we do it in a respectable way. Um, you know, and, and, and you, you got to ask your member of Congress, where are you? Where are you as an independent branch of government? Are we a republic or are we a judicial oligarchy? That's the answer you need for them. Anyway, if you, if you like what you hear, 
on the conservative conscience. If you like what we're doing, like I said, I'm here. I just need you guys to support our sponsors, CRTV. Get your subscription to Levin, Steven Crowder, Steve Dace, beginning, I believe, next week. Um, you're not going to want to miss his show. He's moving to CRTV. Um, annual subscription, 99 bucks. No commercials. Unlimited. You're going to have so much content, you're not going to know what to do with it there. Also, go to preparewithcr.com. Get your 140 ready-made meals to keep in your home for just 99 bucks as well. Um, great idea to have on on hand in case of a storm, any other emergency, or if the liberals descend into anarchy and you can't get out to the store. But either way, thanks for patronizing our sponsors. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. Thanks for all your messages and your blessings. I really do read them all. It gives me strength. Let's strengthen each other. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.